We dedicate this episode of Pop to the memory of Adam West, TV's Batman. He was more than TV's Batman to me. He was my Batman growing up. I met Adam a couple times, and one of the last times I saw him, I showed him a picture of us from the 80s. I was awestruck back then. I still am. Back in the 80s, I told Adam he was my hero. I showed him a photograph of the two of us from that day. He asked, am I still your hero? And I said, yes, you will always be. He's still my hero. Thank you for keeping Gotham safe. Thank you for every pow, biff and bam, and for every smile. His portrayal may not have been dark and grim, but it was heroic. And it always came from a very good place, from a place where someone could still be someone's hero. Thank you, Adam. Episode 9 A Pop with Ken Mills and Courtney Dold. Marty Ross joins us to talk about Power Pop. That is power cool. And a review of Wonder Woman. Welcome back to your Pop, a pop culture podcast. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. And joining me is the ever-wonderful Courtney Cronendold. Hello, Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Ken? I'm doing okay. We have an exciting show for everyone. Our good friend Marty Ross, and he's from the Wigs. He's from the New Monkeys. He's he's from a lot of places. He's from California. but He's a he's, composer. That's right. He's joining us. And it's going to be a really fun conversation. You folks are in for a treat. There's going to be It's some... impossible not to have fun if Marty Ross is involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. But before that, I understand you recently went to an awards show. I did. I was writing for the host and working with him on the Real Screen Awards, which is like a convention for reality sh- television, mm-hmm. um, digital series for the web. I still can't say it right. Still too old. I still, you know, the internet thingy. Mm-hmm. I still say it like that. Apparently very huge. So there was a, an award show um, at this beautiful hotel right on the ocean in Santa Monica. And it's like a three-day event where they have speakers and people from the networks and all the big companies and Warner Brothers and all the... It's it's exciting. And if you work in reality TV and you have a senior level position, you absolutely have to be at this event. Um, so there's no talent there, really. There's no, you know, stars of the shows or anything like that. It's all the people behind the scenes. It's the agencies and the production companies. So it was good for me to be there. Um, but Matt Eisman, who hosts American Ninja Warrior, he was the host, and that's um, why I was there. I was working working for him. And he did an amazing job. He was really funny, and it was a, you know, fun event. And I can tell you about some of the winners. Well, who won? Let's see. Some of the winners were um, Serena, the documentary about Serena Williams, won ah. for Best Sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Best Competition Reality, The Amazing Race won. Oh, that's good. Best Food was Anthony Bourdain won for um, Best Lifestyle, Food, and Travel, whatever. There's like a million categories. Right. Um, is, is there a category, fat guy eating pizza on webcam 24 hours a day? Is that a thing? That's next year. Oh, okay, because I, I think I'm going to go for that. I'm, I'm going to try for that. 
Yeah, or they have a woman with messy hair, um, mascara from last night in her pajamas doing a podcast category as well. But it's got to be on webcam. So. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I have an address label over my webcam. I'm always afraid. I'm always afraid I'm going to be like walking by doing something and somebody's watching me somewhere in Alaska or something. I don't know. I'm so afraid of my webcam. I, I'm one of those people that believes those forward emails that your mother sends you just for a few days. And then I'm like, wait a second. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Because oh. I feel the same way. I always like every once in a while, a light will like I'll, I'll be using my tablet and every once in a while the camera light will come on. I'm like, what's going on here? But it's real. I mean, I watch so much true crime and I see how they like track people down mm-hmm. and it's like nothing is private. Nothing. Right. They're tracking us through the underwear you buy. Well, it, well through everything. And yep. I just don't, no one needs to see me in my pajama bottoms and my enough's enough t-shirt. So Speak for yourself. So, <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do last night, Ken? Uh, I sat down and watched the new Beauty and the Beast. It's finally out on Blu-ray. And man, that was like record time, wasn't it? Just like in the theaters? That was pretty quick, yeah. I'll tell you, anybody that was complaining about that film for any reason at all, they didn't know what they were talking about. That Seriously, it's a great movie. It It is, you know, there's like the saying they don't make them like that anymore. This is one of them. So enjoy. Enjoy, enjoy. I, I can't give it a thumbs up high enough. Who's the beast? I don't know. Oh. He's animated. Uh, hold on a second. Oh, Let me okay. find out. Well, he's got to have a voice. Yeah. Beauty and... The beast. My my friend's um, son, this family that we grew up with, I call him my nephew, even though we're not blood related, but he's 20 now. Uh-huh. But when he was little, the first song he could sing was Beauty and the Beast. But he would sing it like this. He'd sing, Beauty and a Beast. <laughs> Tale old time. And he'd sing it over and over. It's, it was so cute. So still to this day, I see him and I'm like, Beauty and a Beast. <laughs> We had the same kind of thing in our family. Do you remember that song, Every Time You Go Away, that Paul Young sang? Oh, yeah. That's a great song. Well, my, my little cousin, Getty, would always sing. when like, like, he was like three three years old, four years old, something like that. And he'd sing, Every time you go away, you take a piece of meat with you. We used to sing that, too. <laughs> but you, did, you know, I didn't have the, the heart to, like, correct him ever. No, because when you're little, you hear things because there's words you don't know yet or phrases you wouldn't, right. you might not right. understand, like like Betty Davis eyes. When she snows you, you don't know what that means. You're like, why are you throwing snow on her? Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like I remember not understanding those lyrics as a kid. Like, well, and everyone messes up blinded by the light. No one yeah. knows what they're saying there. Ripped I up bet like Marty a douche. <laughs> Ripped up like a douche. Ripped up like a douche. I mean, yeah. What are they saying? <laughs> There's a great sketch about that from this uh, sketch group from Toronto called The Vacant Lot. And um, it was on Comedy Central like in the 80s or 90s, sorry. Mm -hmm. And they had this hilarious sketch where there's four guys sitting around playing poker trying to figure out the lyrics to Blinded by the Light. And like a couple of them are kind of close on it. And then one is just so far off. It's just so far. He's like, it's Blinded by the Light, rammed up like a docent in the humble of the might. Oh that, that's God. what he, he insisted. That's what it was. And then the guy that really knows the lyrics starts flipping out and telling them all what it really is. But it's pretty funny sketch. Well, with 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 Sergeant Pepper coming out, uh, I was 
talking to a friend of mine, and the the song came on when I'm 64, and it, mm-hmm. you know he's a he's a smart guy, very smart guy. But when I got to the lyrics, it was uh, "You're sincerely wasting away," but he thought it said "You're sincerely wasting away." Like when I'm 64, you better get a hold of me because you're wasting away yourself, you know. So mm-hmm. I had to explain to him, no, 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 no. It's like he's writing a letter saying, you're sincerely wasting away, signed wasting uh. away. So he thought it was like, hey, you are sincerely wasting away. You better get a hold of me while you can. But what he's saying is, you know, he's kind of like writing a letter. So so let us know what your favorite misheard lyrics are, right? Yes, that's always fun. Yeah, that, that, that would be fun. Okay. So, so please let us know in this Facebook discussion for for this episode that you're clicking on right now. Do me a favor and let us know your favorite misheard lyric, because we want to we want to hear and share your stories. That'll that'll be cool. Oh yeah. By the way, you didn't say anything about the way I'm dressed. I guess you're just used to it. Uh, are you wearing your Wonder Woman outfit again? I am. I am. And it's I've got the tiara and the bracelets. The uh, post lady was here earlier, and she didn't even say anything. I think she's getting used to it. She said, <laughs> at, "She said at least you're not wearing a man bun." So, oh yeah, please yeah. don't ever do a man bun. Yeah, I used to do that when I was young, and I'll really? tell you why. Well, here's why: I like I, I was working as a painter, and oh, okay. I had really long hair, right? And uh-huh. and I was painting houses, so I would just take something and whip all my hair up and I, I used to do that bun thing way back then but as soon as I was done I was done with that you know once you got cleaned up you didn't like walk around with this ball on your head all the time it just looks goofy uh, well if you're painting a house I get it right right but yeah I'm, I'm wearing the the bracelets because it is Wonder Woman mania is sweeping the country how is it out there are you seeing a lot of posters and stuff and products for Wonder Woman yeah Oh, it's blowing up. I yeah, mean, it's huge. Time. I mean, it's making them so much money that mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, everybody's walking on air out here. Yeah. And I have my Diet Dr. Pepper Wonder Woman's right here. See, she's on the can. Look at that. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Very nice. And even though I love Linda Carter and no one can ever replace her, Gal Gadot is, is pretty darn cool. Good for her. Yeah. And I love that Linda Carter's like a part of it and they're they're including her as they should. Yeah. In the promotions and that she's there. I mean cuz I mean she could still probably pull it off. She looks fantastic. I was yep. blown away with how great she looks. She's actually doing Supergirl right now. She's playing a villain in that. Oh, that's great. Good and, for her. And they make a lot of kind of Wonder Woman jokes. Oh it. yeah, you can't yeah. not. Right. But one of our listeners, Scott D Parker, he wrote on his blog spot a really cool review, and I liked it so much I asked him to send in a recording of Scott D. Parker reading his review on Wonder Woman. So let's check that out. Every Saturday night, MeTV broadcast an episode from the 1970s TV show Wonder Woman. That theme alone always makes me smile, as does Linda Carter's portrayal of the Amazon from Paradise Island. The show was cheesy, especially when they moved it to the 1970s, but I always appreciated her earnestness, even if I didn't know what that was back in the day. Somewhere along the line, 
Earnestness in a superhero film was beaten down in favor of grim and dark and dour because... whatever. That's more real, I guess. There are certainly elements of grim, dark, and Wonder Woman, but it's so refreshing to see a return of earnestness to a superhero film, especially this one. The movie is the origin of Diana of Themyscira, an island populated by Amazons set on Earth and hidden by Zeus to serve as the ultimate protector against Ares, the fallen god of war. Naturally, the world of man intrudes on Themyscira when an American spy, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, crashes in the water. Diana sees this and, being the curious hero, saves him. Then you get the truly first badass sequence in the movie, when the Germans invade Themyscira and the Amazons defend their island. Holy cow. The action was well choreographed and executed with panache. That the Amazons were all female warriors, naturally, was great to watch. More importantly to me, however, was that they were almost all not young. Robin Wright and Connie Nelson, to name the two main stars of Themyscira, are both 51 now, so they were 49 or 50 when filming the movie. The plot is a typical superhero plot. Future hero wants to do something good and leaves her home to do the good thing. The fish-out-of-water aspect here is great and with some genuine laugh-out-loud moments. In Superman 78, when Superman made his debut, he had grown up a human and revealed himself to the world. In Wonder Woman, the Amazonian is introduced to the world of man with predictably funny moments. You've seen some of them in the trailers. There are more and funnier ones in the film. Diana's guiding force is her single-minded belief that Ares is behind the war and that if she merely killed him, the war would end. Just get me to the war, she keeps imploring Steve, and I'll kill Ares and be done with it. But her seeing all the pain and horror of a human war, especially World War I, starts to affect her. This leads to the greatest moment in the film, and it's in the trailer so it's not a spoiler. Her march across no man's land. She's tired of hearing the word no, so she decides she'll do something, anything, to try and help. What follows is such a transcendent moment in the movie that my eyes welled with tears. Gal Gadot is truly amazing in this role. Her nuances, whether in the quiet scenes or her determination in the action sequences, really bring Wonder Woman above a mere hero in the hero film. She gives the character depth to do what she has to do in the way she does it. And Chris Pine, he has charm dripping out of his pores. Director Patty Jenkins could have cast any hunky co-star to stand opposite Gadot. With Pine, you get something extra. Not only is he the stand-in for the audience, but his charm helps the comedy play out better. His particular way of reading Steve's lines ended up being something more than hunky co-star, and even he has a character arc. The film is not without some flaws. Act 3 is a little tedious and devolves into a typical superhero showdown. At night, of course, which brings to mind Batman v Superman, a movie I've tried my best to erase from my memory, uh, except for the Wonder Woman parts, which were the best part of the entire film. 
The tedium of another night fight was in sharp contrast to the Themyscira battle, which was in broad daylight on a beach. More of that, please. But the quibbles are minor, because the entire experience was so filled with joy. I loved watching this movie late afternoon on opening day. It's the way I want every DC film to be. Action, adventure, a good dose of humor and spectacle with heart and emotion. Need any more reason to see this movie? When was the last time you heard an audience erupt in applause at the end of a movie? My theater audience did that. I enthusiastically joined in. Wonder Woman is that kind of movie. So if you want to check out Scott D. Parker and his books, go to scottdparker.blogspot.com. And he is a fellow popper on the Pop Facebook page. Yay! Yeah, really good guy. Always smart. Unlike most of the stuff I post about, so... What are you talking about? No, just, I'm just self-defecating humor. Self-defecating? Yes. You're shitting on yourself? <laughs> Literally? Yeah, literally. It. He's self-defecating himself over there. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's um, self-deprecating humor. No, I'm fairly clever. I clean up fairly well if I need to. But I look yeah. cool. I look snazzy in these, in the tiara, don't I? Yeah, the tiara suits you. It's better than the man bun. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, instead of wearing man buns, wear a tiara. It, <laughs> seriously. Do it. Make Instead a statement. Wool hat in July. Wear a tiara. Yeah, make a statement. Be cool. Do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Well, let's play this, and we'll be back on the other side with the Marty Ross, Yay. joining the ever fair Courtney and myself as we talk once again about Power Pop and all things cool. It's time to spin some records with Marty. It's kind of like Marty sitting down and playing us some 45s. It's really cool. Okay. Hi, it's comedian Tim Powers, and when I'm stuck on the 405, I'm listening to Pop, a pop culture podcast from Ken Mills. Hi, this is Susie Henschel from the Daddy Love Me podcast, and you're listening to Pop, the pop culture podcast. Mm. Very good. <laughs>
And joining us on Pop, someone who knows a thing or two about Power Pop, it's the wonderful Marty Ross. Yes, thank you. I'm back and I'm not leaving. Uh (laughs) Aha. We don't want you to. We don't want you to leave. So, Marty, please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell folks who you are. Tell them all about you. Hi, I'm Marty Ross. I'm six foot two. I weigh about 210 pounds at the moment. I'm losing my hair. I'm older than most of you. I have a great deal of interest in music. I have been a musician all my life. I hail from Hollywood, California. I've been on TV. I've been in movies. I've, I've done music and film songs. And my experience is really, really rapidly becoming viable. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your love of music and, and what you've done. I've, I've listened to your music throughout a great part of my life. And for people who don't know it, you were once a new monkey. Or I guess you still are a new monkey. I right? know. No, we never broke up. We, yeah. never got the, we never got the line item at the bottom of the thing that said you guys now have to break up. We're still together. And, right. Uh, Yay. Yeah, we haven't broken up. And uh, there's talk of a reunion at some point this year. It's something we're going to do a concert, but I don't know the details. But if both of you want to come out to that, then that would be great. Um, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm one of the people that was that was saying, I hope you do it. That's I would right. be there with a bunch of people in tow. Oh, my gosh. That would be super fun if you guys did that. There will be free 80s haircut uh, hair salon. <laughs> <laughs> and for people who have listened to past episodes of Pop, they know that we have played your music right oh. here. Yes, we played the wigs and the new monkeys. Wow. Yep. Uh, so, so there you have all 10 songs. There you go. <laughs> Marty always sells himself short. I know. To me, I, I call him a bit of a genius myself. Today, we're talking about Power Pop once again. And this is something that we're going to come back to time and time again on this show. Power Pop is something that all three of us love. And I'm going to ask you, Marty Ross, what is Power Pop? You define it because everybody has their own definition. So please, Marty Ross, what is Power Pop to you? Power Pop is uh, studio mixes uh, that have loud guitars and drums put up in the mix that go with a very strong melody Mm -hmm. and a a very, very good, powerful hook. All of this stems itself from basic popular music of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. The reason how popular music always has been Give me the hook and give me a verse that somebody will... It's it's the lure and the hook. Mm. And power pop, it doesn't stray that much from that that formula. In fact, it's the same formula that ever was. was It's it's exactly the same, except the sound of it is different. The sound of it is much more guitar and drum and bass-driven harmonies. Uh, It does sound like the band that you really dreaded was down the block because they were so loud. Mm. You know, I always felt like it was the band that was playing in a bar, and I liked every single song. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were in a bar and you heard this stuff, you probably in my era would have got, sh- excuse me, some things thrown at you, because mm-hmm. bars were more or less aligned with stuff like, uh, well, hard rock music and, and bar music. Uh, right, drinking. or like pop rock, yeah. Right, and you, co- I mean, if you come up with a pop rock song in a bar and go... I want to hold your hand, I want to be your man, I want to do the things that we do together, like go to school and read some books, you know. <laughs> Shut the hell up and play some Zeppelin! No, I, I, 
think there should be a bar? I'm seriously in my head. I like think about this that just has live like power pop music on the weekends, like to draw the you know the 35 plus crowd. And you mean that's a number of people? <laughs> well, you know, I disagree. I think it would be super fun because I know like when the live music is down here, like at our festivals and stuff. Like we have a very we have live music at our like beach festivals and stuff. And there's a group of people that are always there just fully dancing. And it seems like the power pop stuff gets people on their feet. Right. I mean, pretty much anything gets people on their feet when they've been drinking all day. But maybe it's just a fantasy I'm having in my head where there's just like, you know, the bar band gets up and they just bust into some like random stuff that's that would be power pop. Well, well uh, yeah, my theory about what power pop is and how it became to be starts really it's, it's such a, an amazing coincidence that that in the 60s the recording techniques were such so primitive compared to the 70s in the in the 60s you had mostly four track recording and bands had to record live mm-hmm. and if a band went in there with their guitarist full blast on his Fender twin reverb which is a very loud amp which was an amp that a lot of people used the tr- producer would have basically said turn that amp down because you're drowning out everybody else we can only record the band live and we'll do the vocals afterwards. Uh-huh. But when you got towards the late 60s, you started getting into 8-track. You started getting into being able to have baffles and being able to have bands play different things at different times. And you're able to turn up those amps because they're being recorded overdubbed over a bed, a bed track. Uh-huh. And it's just, a, it's just an amazing coincidence that those kinds of recording techniques that were coming in later on and Power Pop came at the same time and Hard Rock. So, Marty, I have to ask you, why is there no power pop category in award shows? Like, for example, there's no Grammy for the best power pop whatever. Okay. I think that pretty much easily stated in just uh, one sentence, it's not a root form of music. Mm. And the problem with power pop is that people, that's where the problem gets in defining power pop because each person has their definition of where power pop comes from is mm-hmm. it more rock is it more pop is it more blues there's not there's nothing in it that really really defines it it's its own thing and for that reason it should have its own category but let's just say that happily for my case like hip-hop doesn't have any roots to it except for the fact that uh when education uh, when, when music school education music education was taken out of the class you ended up having hip-hop and rap because all they had left was rhythm and beats and, and nobody knew how to do music. So that's naturally what happened when music came out of schools. So it's naturally its own thing, but power pop is as much its own thing as, as rap is, I believe. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's it's not as pure a form of, of music uh, in terms of where it came from. I think that's where the problem comes. I was just going to say, I know for me that there's a lot of times where I will listen to something and then I'll go, is this power pop? Is this power pop? And then, you know, I'll read articles, I'll read books. And frankly, online, it's getting boring because it's the same 20 songs, same 20 bands over and over and over that are, they're just Mm -hmm. like insisting, no, it's just these people. I totally disagree with that. And, and think that there's like hundreds more and then bands that maybe like one of my, like one of my favorite bands is crowded house and I've seen them labeled as power pop. I don't really feel that way about their music. I feel like it's good pop rock, but there's like maybe four or five songs that are power poppy sounding. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a feeling you get when you hear it for each person that like you're drawn to that sound and like 
I don't know. Yeah, it sounds crazy, I, but it's kind of, <laughs> it, but it, I think it's why we like the songs we like. I like beautiful melodies. I like haunting melodies. I like really intense harmonies. And I like that heavy guitar, that jangly guitar, if uh-huh. you will. And then I also like those songs that have that Buddy Holly thing going on. So that's the kind of stuff I'm drawn to. Right. I think I think that I think that where you're talking about with instances like Crowded House or Squeeze mm-hmm. right. or or bands uh, where there are songs that are power pop, but I think it's very 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 much of a mistake to list bands as being power pop because a power pop is kind of like it's it's their it's their loud melodic song with a hook in it. Mm-hmm. And right. that's that's you know there's other songs that use different instrumentation. It's I will go back to the saying that I, I can put many songs. I did this to uh, uh, Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel. I just recorded over it just like a couple of days ago, and just put guitars and crashing cymbals and 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 stuff. And now it's a power pop song. Uh huh. So you know, but that's because of the production. And so you're absolutely right. There's so many bands that have recorded power pop songs, but they're not power pop bands. No, I don't. So feel, I, I can't label anyone really. There's no one I say I can say is like that's po-, like I just don't feel like that about anyone that strongly. I guess. Well, it means that every song they ever did is a pop, it's a power pop band. So right. Everything is power pop, and it's, you know what? You know, I, I believe that. Power pop actually kind of found its its graveyard in the 1980s, and it resurrected itself. But it founded itself with all the the uh, heavy with the heavy rocker hair bands doing ballads. Everybody did ballads, mm-hmm. and they were all based in power pop. There was a slowed down power pop. All the productions was the same: big drums, this and that, big harmonies, and all that during the vocals and. Uh, during the har- during the choruses and and then it just slowly eked out as being a style that they didn't want ballads anymore. Or these bands were saving themselves by you know their last hit. Well, everybody's doing ballads, so you know everybody, you know cheap tricks, the flame and and all, all these songs uh, mm-hmm. you heard. I think that buried kind of power pop, and then in the '90s, all of a sudden you started hearing it again. Yes. Yeah. And it's coming you, back now. I, I there's new power pop bands now. Or songs. I think, that, I think that as long as you have a guitar-driven song where the uh, the guitars are melodiously played, mm-hmm. uh, melodiously, well, uh, <laughs> maliciously played, no, uh, maliciously melodically. Yes, I'm out to maliciously melodically hit after you, and and where <laughs> where where there's a, a predominance of men recording songs to try to get after girls, there will always be power pop songs. And heartbreak. <laughs> or if and there's a girl the named Marianne. There's a lot of songs named Marianne that That's are right. power pop. Seriously, I think I can name three off the top of my head. Right, yeah. Marshall so, Crenshaw, you, the characters, and somebody else. That was a who? <laughs> Marianne with the shaky hands. Mm. Yeah, so that's another one. Which was a nasty song in itself, but mm-hmm. it was a great song. So, Marty, I'm going to ask you right now. To name three songs that typify power pop, that when like if we could say these three songs are power pop, and they're they don't have to be your favorite because we're gonna do a top five with you, but I want you to kind of give us three songs that typify or that we can point at and say that is quintessential power pop. <laughs> I know you wanted me to answer. You know, this is almost like this is this is. 
this is the question they start off start you off at at Gitmo. Mm-hmm. You know, you fill this this uh, three power pop songs, but uh, you're also be waterboarded. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the gin blossoms. Uh, hey, jealousy.
it's it's just a it's a power pop masterpiece. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great song. I mean, it, I think that the point of power pop is that it's one of the few things I believe that you can listen to over and over again, and you get ear you get ear fatigue off of it, but you recover faster than in other songs. Oh my gosh, can, that is the most perfect way to put it, Marty. That is it. That is power pop. Yeah. Seriously, I never get sick of the power pop songs that I love ever. Yeah. I, I should have a Marshall Crenshaw intervention from these last few weeks. Like, it's seriously. My husband's like, "Are you playing that again?" I'm like, "It's such a perfect song." Like, I uh, I see what you're saying. That is a really that's an excellent point. Uh-huh. Yeah. There she goes by the laws. I mean, that was. Oh my god! Great song. songs from the 90s because the ones you know that are the usual suspects are, mm-hmm. are all there i i right. those are those are in my like my early favorites ones delamitri that's uh, they had some great singles that, their big hit that song uh, roll to me yeah be 
Is there something wrong and you can't put your finger on it? Right then, roll to me. And I don't think I have ever seen a soul so in despair. So if you want to talk the man through, guess who? That's a good song. I like that guy. I like the singer. Yeah. Well, why didn't you marry him? I, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I tried, but I didn't know his name. It was weird. And I think he's Irish and he doesn't live here. I wish you lived here. <laughs> so those are three, we're going to say, more modern day takes on power pop as opposed to what was going on in the 70s. Now, I know off air we were talking about a song by Badfinger. And you talked about how it was played, but not only that, but what was happening in the studio. Do you yeah. have your guitar handy? Yeah. So what you have is in the 60s, 65, 64, starting of most of the songs will have a tone that's... Which is how many of the Beatles songs... That, bird songs yes it's that tone uh you know then you get into different things with the 70s and then you've got badfinger coming out with uh, this tone no matter which what is, oh, sorry yeah I know we're all <laughs> you know which is you know the difference is is that these these guitar amps that came out that were coming out were bigger, more powerful, this and that. They were huge amps. I mean, these, the amp, believe me, I've played through them, and most of my friends and I that had these guitar amps in the early 70s, they were loud. They were the loudest damn amps, and you couldn't get that tone unless you turned them up all the way. Now they have amps where they can just model that sound and yeah. they can just have it come out and be quiet. You can have distortion yeah. and stuff, but in order to get that distorted sound in the late 60s, you needed to get an amp, and, and it was a, a big amp, and you needed to turn it up all the way. It was incredible. I mean, imagine the Beatles going out on tour with so insanely insufficient gear. When they went out on the stadium, first stadium tour, the, uh, the Vox initially made them the Beatle amplifiers, mm -hmm. which, were, which were insanely loud amplifiers guitar amplifiers and bass I mean they're so loud that whenever I 
fat saw one when I was a kid and I asked to plug it in and play it, I'd put it up to three and it would be too loud. Uh-huh. They're going, how the hell did anybody play through these things? So what I'm doing there as an example is how you were able to establish those great guitar tones that are essential to power pop. Uh-huh. A cheap trick was probably, and Rick Nielsen single-handedly uh, helped define those kind of guitar tones. He was just a master at it. So, and and still is. He kind of took what the Beatles were doing, George Harrison and John and whatnot, and amped it up using what you're talking about. Right. And, and incorporated the, all within their music. The thing that's kind of strange is, you know, the Cheap Trick recorded every one of their albums in a different studio, and most likely most of them, except for two, I think, with or three with the different producers. Mm-hmm. And they have, and they pretty much, you know, across the board are not that different sound-wise, except for a couple of, of mistake albums where they sound too synthy or whatever. But, yeah, but uh, that was but that due production. to the times. Yeah. Yes. So you know, the Beatles recorded most of their music in the same studio, and they had, and they sounded so different from album to album. It's just, it's, it's a different kind of a thing. And I would be, I would be absolutely remiss if we didn't mention that Sgt. Pepper, the remix, was released. Right. And it's, I've listened to it, and I've got my own opinion about it, and everybody has their opinion about it. And, you know, it's really fun to listen to. Uh, and there you have a whole different awakening of a different style of music. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about 67. Think about this. In 1967, the Beatles led the way with the album format being put in the foremost of what this pop music culture was heading towards. It was right. the album. Singles and FM were... FM was on its way, and singles were on their way out. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing changed. But by 1970, when you get Badfinger, mm-hmm. it starts to splinter into so many different things. It's a beginning of what we what I now call as the 470-piece pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, nothing would ever be the same. Right. So, you know, and Power Pop is in one of those things. It's one of those pieces. It's, and I think that when I was getting into it and starting to play in bands and stuff, we always wanted to play all the poppy songs and stuff like that because that's what we really like to do. But what we augmented ourselves with was everybody wanted to hear Kiss and everybody wanted to hear... Uh, in our in my neighborhood, everybody wanted to hear Ario Speedwagon, and, mm-hmm. and you know there was all these bands that we didn't even sound like, you know. But Stadium people, Rock, yeah, but Boston. people thought we, yeah, oh yeah, but we we thought that we didn't sound anything like that. But that's because of the loudness and the guitars. That's how we got put into. Oh, that loud rock music. It's power or pop. No, it's loud and it's rock. I know. I've heard it. <laughs> you know what has a really good ear for power pop? I think I find it a lot in movie soundtracks. I yeah. think that's where the majority of people are introduced to power poppy sounding songs more so than on the radio. I'm talking about the radio like like it's as, imp- as important as it was. But when it was, I think that um, people you know, got a lot of songs from movie soundtracks or seeing them on television. I know, like, let's say the Fairley Brothers, whoever does their music has a great ear for a power pop song. Mm-hmm. There's always a terrific power pop song, like every four, three or four scenes, boom, there's another power pop song. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that, but... Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. You know, you make a good point, Courtney. This, uh, it strikes me as kind of strange as 
that the closing of Breaking Bad was a Badfinger song because of Baby Blue and it struck them because they were making blue pills. Right. Right. That was and so perfect. That just was the most perfect song for the end of that show, I thought. So if you go to YouTube, you'll see you'll see that Day After Day by Badfinger will have two, three million and, and No Matter What has three million, four million. And then you'll see Baby Blue and it's, it's 35 million. Yep. <laughs> and that's the power of of TV uh, and a power of, of, of multiple current venues by mm-hmm. by which these songs are placed. You know, yeah, it's, I, oh sorry. No, don't apologize. I love you so much. I love you, Marty Ross. All right, well. <laughs> but you know what I was gonna say is my husband was a, bit, a Breaking Bad fan, and he's not a fan of the music I am. I try to like open his mind to it. He loves hip hop, and that's his thing. Like he. Right. He likes Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and like that's mainly his thing. But I've tried to open up his mind to like listening to more, you know, more power pop stuff. And he's been with me. He's been with me to see the babies uh, and to see Neil Finn. And I just like try and get him to go, you know, and I don't I don't really consider the babies. You know, they have some power poppy songs, but I I just want to open him up to the music. So when Baby Blue was on, he was like, wow, this is a really good song. Do you know this? I'm like, do I know this? You went, neener, neener, neener. Yes, I went, isn't it a great song? And then, like, years go by and whatever, we're in the car, and I said, hey, and it came on my mix, and I said, hey, this is the song from Breaking Bad. And the, and he goes, oh. And he's listening, and he goes, yeah, it's perfect, but it didn't even get to the baby blue part. It was just the verse and the lyrics about the girl and what he did and, you know, that whole thing. And, and he's like, oh, this is so perfect. For the show, I'm sorry, I'm taking it in a different direction, but what he got from that song was the pain. <laughs> yeah. The pain of, like, that poppy love song. He missed all the melody that that makes the pain look so sound so pretty. You yeah, know? well, that's, that's kind of, pain. like, my thing, is that, to me, it always... Power pop tends to have a bit of tragic sadness to it. Yes, that's what I was trying to get to. Yes, it just took forever to get there. Sorry. It's it's like that song we were listening to last week on the show, the Ausley song, um, Coming Up Roses. Yes. It's incredibly beautiful. Then you, if you strip that down and just read the lyrics, you need a box of tissues. Well, yeah. you might. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's just really the sadness in it is just like, oh, it's overwhelming. So I think that's also maybe part of Power Pop too. There's like that angst, like not the teen angst, but there's like that whenever people say, well, why do you like Neil Finn or Crowded House? I'm like, I don't know. He just writes these hauntingly beautiful melodies, I would always say. Well, I think that you come up with something there that's, that is awfully true is is the celebration of life and song has many ways of being able to be told. And one of the great things about power pop is that really the best of the power pop stuff is that there is a there's a juxtaposition and a, and a 180 degree opposing uh, 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 lyrical content to mm-hmm. the music that's going on. I mean, the music that's going on is forceful, drival, driving music, and yet there's this, this, you know, like, like, well, like Baby Blue. I mean, if you keep on going with that, it just, it's a, it's really a sad song. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really sad, and it, yeah. Uh, yeah, so when it comes down to the melancholy of writing power pop songs, you get you get a lot of stuff where most of the res- most respected power pop 
is the melancholy ones, and the ones that are just happy-go-lucky ones are the ones that just aren't as respected. Like, let's take a classic version. The, probably the biggest power pop song in the history of power pop, My Sharona. Mm -hmm. that, that song is not as highly respected as Baby Blue. Right. And, With musicians, maybe. Yes. Yeah. So you know the thing is, is that it's, ooh, I want to touch you down. My Sharona. You know, I mean, the song was brilliant at its time, and it was so huge, but it was one of those ones that made you, got you ear fatigue. You went, I can't listen to it anymore. Yes, that one will that one will get on that one will grate on me. But then there's this song called "Perfect Skin" by Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. Yes, I I'll never get sick of that song, never. Right, I, I can I can listen to it all the time. But you're talking about a song that's been heard by twenty thousand people. I'm going a little deep there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But yes. I, I just I just mean it, you know. I, but it, I know you guys know that song, and I'm pretty sure the listeners know that song. Yeah, but it's, it's where you know the thing is is when you go, when you when you're talking about popular music, right? Pop music, you know, this power pop isn't popular, right? Uh, I know. I think power pop is one of the most, uh, honestly, one of the more failed forms of music because so many people and so many bands and so many artists have been signed, recorded, done this and done power pop songs and enticing the public to like them, and these songs just fall short. Mm -hmm. they, they and they don't become big. I mean, how many power pop songs can you name have been number one? Oh, I don't know. Was Do what I like about you number one? I don't think so. No. I don't even think. No. My Sharona but, was. My Sharona is yeah. one. My Sharona, yeah. I and I can't name too many. I'd like mm -hmm. to find a list of that. You know. As a matter of no. fact, Marty, I remember one time we were having a conversation on Facebook, and you asked people that were on your page to name the biggest power pop artist. Right. And my answer was Rick Springfield. I think that that's a good answer, too. And the Jesse's Girl was a... Exactly. Jesse's Girl was completely power pop. A lot of his singles fell into that groove. Right. But, you know, again, power pop singles versus power pop artist. You know what I'm saying? So, just because someone does so many songs that are power pop it doesn't mean that that typifies their entire catalog and where you know jesse's girl is 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 more whiny than melancholy but you know it's it, it certainly is uh, a song about wanting something that you don't have yeah sense of hunger right mm -hmm. yeah so, now so there, so there you got two so we found the two power pop songs it's very funny to me that this 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 uh uh kind of music is meant to be popular and yet in many cases it hasn't really been over the top popular i mean no right. now marty you sent us something that's really cool that you did you took yeah. the 60s classic single yeah. by crispin st peter's the pied piper <laughs> yes a pretty stupid song but it and was a it was a huge hit nonetheless yes and I was always sitting there the other day with a writer sitting there saying, you know, I'm the Pied Piper, follow me, and I'll show you where it's at. I'm going, you could have done such a, any better line. You could have, follow me, and I'll show you where love is at. Show me, I'll show you where everything is happening. I'll show you where, I'll show you where it's at. So I, I thought, I've got I've to make this into a, into a pop thing. I'm going to add some guitars and a vocal and, and drums and 
and, and yeah, I, I had fun with it. It was it's something that I'm starting to do on this program here on Pop. I'm going to be uh, adding this segment, and I'll explain it later when you uh, if you want to play the song. Okay. Well, I'm going to play the original version, part yeah. of the original version of the Pied Piper by Crispin St. Peters. Okay. So let's check. This is this is what the original 45 sounded like. So follow me. Hey, come on, baby. Crispin St. Peter's, doesn't that sound like a, a character from Spinal Tap? Like, yeah. It sounds like a made up name for a Spinal Tap. Crispin St. Peter. That is a Spinal Tap thing. Yeah, absolutely. And the guy was a real ass. For I mean, a short oh. time, we were we were managed by Crispin St. Peter's, but he yeah. died in a bizarre <laughs> plumbing accident. We, we dare not mention it. We dare not mention it. Yeah, I, and Crispin St. Peter's stuck out to me because I remember living in uh, London at the time in 67 and and there was this hit out by him, and he was sitting there with his hit. They, how do you feel about this stuff? He says, well, at least somebody's got to get rid of these Beatles freaks. These assholes have no time left. They're just a joke. And I just thought I'd come out and I'd save humanity. I mean, literally, this guy thought he was the second coming and that John Lennon and Paul McCartney were the devil. And so, wow. and it was so hilarious. Wow. Yeah. So, Marty, here is yeah. kind of what you did. And I'm, okay. I'm going to, to play the second stage, and this is just you playing a power pop guitar, adding some bits and some background vocals. And so here is just you adding some guitar and some vocals. So we're going to listen to this isolated bit. Yeah. premiere of a Marty Rost remixed recut version of Crispin St. Peter's The Pied Piper with Marty Ross power popping it up like crazy. Are you ready to check this out, Courtney? I was born ready. All right, here we Ooh. go. The world premiere. The Pied Piper power popped. You with your masquerading and you always contemplating what to do. Happiness found you. Can't you see that it's all around you? So
Are you trying to prove it ain't true That your life has kicked you It's your mind And that's all that's tricking you So step in line Hey, come on, baby That is so cool, Marty. We want to thank you for sharing that with our audience. This is excellent. What did you think of that, Courtney? That was very cool. I, t- I and it makes sense. Marty and I had talked about this before, and he's like, and you played me those songs that uh, uh, when we we had lunch a few weeks ago, and and you played not this song, but it was a different song you played me yeah. and said about the production. And yeah, you're right. It really cool. does come down to production. And, and that leads me to to being able to offer the pop podcasts listeners an opportunity to be part of the show in terms of being able to pick a song for me to do the same thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have even a prize. I'm, I don't think I announced this before, so this is, these guys don't know what I'm talking about. But I want to offer to anybody that wants to go in and, and this, actually, I'll start this announcement again. You know what you should do, all those people out there with the podcast, you should choose a song for me to do the same treatment to. It's got to be kind of a pop, think of a power pop song without sounding like power pop, one that needs to be power pop. I'm going to do it. I'm going to add vocals and do guitars and stuff like that. And if I pick the song that you want me to do, I will send you absolutely free a 45 from one of my big collection of 60s and 70s 45s. Wow. and I'm just going to send it to you, and uh, it'll be absolutely random. It might be a great one. It might be a big loser, but it it it'll be something that uh, that you will be able to keep. And you can send your submissions to yes that Marty Ross at gmail dot com. So send your submission to yes that Marty Ross at gmail dot com. All right. I wonder why nobody ever did this. Think about this. Why isn't anybody, this is just sort of a cool thing. Now, it could be done. Think about it. Why has there never been a tire and wheel in the shape of a 45 with the treads on the black wall of the tire and the center being the whole, (laughs) you could have, you're driving on 45s. That would Mm -hmm. be cool. That would be cool. Well, for about six months and then, oh, you see that idiot? He's driving around in a 
close, fell for that 45 on the wheel thing. <laughs> and then there'd be a, bun a bunch of song parodies from Sammy Hagar's, and it would be, I can drive on 45. Oh, lady comes up with it. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. This is what yeah. I do for a living, sadly. There it is. And I, I'm so proud of you. We Thank are. You. We love our Courtney. So, Marty, I asked you to pick five power pop songs from the first era, pre-1970s. Oh, God. So, first up, Marty, on your list of five power pop songs that you really love from the first era, pre-1970. Right. Number five, Do You Believe in Magic by The Love and Spoonful. Yeah. What is it that you love about this track? What is it that pops for you? Oh, are you kidding? It's it's absolute sunshine revolving on your turntable. It is, it's just an absolutely, uh, it's for, for a better world, the hope of everything and everything that can be good about this world is wrapped up in that song. If you believe in magic and a young girl's heart, I mean, those are two things that actually make this whole world go around. Uh -huh. and, and it's just an incredibly hopeful song. And... The band themselves were completely different. They were the guys playing zither on it, and that's a power yeah. pop song. You know, it's you know I I would say that it's probably the only zither song, and it's 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 a it's bordering on not. I would say that if I wanted to repop this song, I could really make it hard on the guitars. But the guitar tones that Zal Yarnowski like had on this thing it was really such a great tone. I wouldn't I wouldn't move, mess with it. It's a wonderful song about just music itself. It's about rock and roll. Uh -huh. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? How the music can free her whenever it starts and it's magic. If the music is groovy and makes you feel happy like an old time movie, I'll tell you about the magic and the free So underrated. Oh, absolutely. I and, and 
had one of the best songwriters in house. I mean, you 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 can't beat John Sebastian. No, you can't. All those rain on the roof, uh, summer in the city it was a great great song. And summer in the city is unique in that it it's very modern in the fact that it used it used it used loops <laughs> in the middle of the song. Yeah, it's just really really insanely cool. So Marty's number four is "I Can't Let Go" by the Hollies. Oh, what a that's just that's just a great song. And think that they recorded that song right you know in between the days that the Beatles were recording in the same studio. You know, so it's recorded in Abbey Road number two, and that sound of this voice—it sounds like an organ. I can't let go. And it's like you're sitting there listening to them. what is that? That's that's. That's freaking Graham Nash's voice. I can't let go. It's it's an incredible sounding power poppy thing. That's I just think it's a great Holly song, and I love the Hollies too. Well, I try and I try, but I can't say goodbye. Funny that you've got the Love and Spoonful and the Hollies. I would tend to think that these two bands are, you know, connected by the fact that they're so-called the you know second tier of the big bands. Uh-huh. And and if these guys are in the second tier of the big bands of the '60s, then you had quite a strength of bands. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, Courtney has 
kind of in in her mind and in my mind we we kind of look back at buddy holly right and this to me sounds like a buddy holly song that he never wrote mm-hmm. that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really great way to put it it does have its 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 melody and everything uh and lyric uh-huh. is completely uh uh, a Buddy Holly derivative song. And I would tend to believe that that they would, the Hollies themselves at that point would have said, yeah, this is a Hollies kind of song. You know, it's derivative of that. And very good, good point. Our next track is number three. You summoned one of the holy hymns from my uh, holy hymn book, and it is Rain by the Beatles. <laughs> Right, and it's, it's the Beatles. Does there need to be? <laughs> it's, it's you know, it, the Grand Masters creating another song by which no two others sound alike. This one sounds like no other that they did, and and it's very interesting that as a power pop song, and as a Beatles cut, 
it breaks loose with this crazy guitar stuff and Ringo's drumming. It's really, really, really like a precursor to how you would later mix a power pop song. Bring the drums up, bring the bass up, bring the guitars up, and the voice is, is squashed in the middle. It's not overtly out there. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what makes it more power poppy is that it's just its own thing. I mean, I mean, how can you possibly not have... You think Big Star me? heard this song before? Just kidding. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. I mean, this was... The thing about that's amazing about that that band, just as a, an aside to it, that's always since there's so much about them. When the albums actually came out, they first of all the albums were events. They were like premieres. They they they, they just they just didn't come out. It was the new Beatles album. Have you heard it? Have you got it? This and that. It was literally the permeation of what was going on on the whole level of society at the time. The Beatles album. What was it? How good was it? And in that. You had people that liked or disliked songs, and everybody liked and disliked different songs. That's why the Beatles were so popular. Uh, it's the Beatles. That's all. Number three. What, right. what album is that from? I don't know. I'm not as Beatly as you guys. But it's Revolver. Revolver. Oh, it's Revolver. Okay. Yeah, my favorite album by the Beatles. Revolver is just utterly fantastic. So number two is Lies by the Knickerbockers. Oh my God, the Knickerbockers, a band that. This lead singer was in another band in the 50s. I can't remember what the name was, but it was a silly song. And then this this band literally was mistaken for the Beatles. Mm-hmm. There are parts there where it sounds like somebody shoved John on the mic and said, You think they'd go such a smart girl? You know? Lies, lies, you're telling me that you'll be true.
I didn't know the Knickerbockers. I saw it on a TV movie called Satisfaction, starring Justine Bateman, ah. who sang this song not as well as the <laughs> Knickerbockers. Isn't the Knickerbockers version just like wildly so Beatles-esque? It's super Beatles-y, yeah. Like if I had my eyes closed and someone played that and said, have you heard this Beatles song before? I'd be like, no. And then I'd be like, wait a minute. But it, it's incredibly beatles and if yeah, you they, saw the lead singer of the band, you'd see there's a blonde guy with a flat top. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's a, and with a saxophone in his hand. And, you know, there's no sax in this song. You know, it's, it's I just, there isn't. Anyway, I love that song live because for me as a kid, as an argument, I would sit there and say, how big are the Beatles? There are bands that are sounding like the Beatles and they're still having hits. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the Beatles was is I don't ever remember while they were together during those six, seven years while they were recording that they ever stopped anybody from, from taking their stuff and they were lifted and ideas were lifted left and right and styles and their drum and the sound of the recordings. Everybody was trying to make it sound like them because it was the basic, it was the, what was going on. They were the leader of the pack and the Beatles never sued anybody. <laughs> So that's that's a great single, and I'm glad you played that one, Marty. Okay. All right, so what's the next, the number one song? Number one, the song you like, pre-first era power pop 1970, I'll Feel a Whole Lot Better by The Birds. The reason why, oh, I can say Yeah. 
And how could you go wrong with that? A song that is so absolutely just lyrically wise, uh, there's a left turn in it that you don't hear in any of these songs. Uh This is this is about rejecting. And this is it's very and you've got the opening starting with one guitar and then a twelve string guitar that explodes and then you've got Gene Clark singing and you've got David Crosby and Roger McGuinn singing backgrounds. I mean, this is a dream song. And and they didn't have any other songs that sounded like this. You know, they had a song that sounded like this pace-wise for So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, which was later. That was mm-hmm. about the Bunkies. Mm-hmm. But, but this song, I've heard you sing that, Marty. You sang that at your show. You, I did. I did. You did. I saw you ordering another drink. <laughs> Well, you were singing right. So You Want to Be, and I was singing So I Want to Be a Drunken Rock and Roll Fan. And yeah, play another song, damn it, I don't want to go home. <laughs> so in any case, I'll Feel a Whole Lot Better is one of those songs that when I first heard it, I bought the Birds album, I was seven, eight, seven, eight years old, and I was buying albums, and, and as a little kid, the guitar just overwhelmed me, and then... There's the lead guitar, which is this overdriven 12-string guitar. It just, it, everything about this is the precursor to everything that I loved about Power Pop. And it is, to me, the finest example of Power Pop. Notwithstanding uh, all you Who fans with pictures of Lily and I, I can't explain. And it, to me, it has a lot of those things going for it. Now, here's something that is troubling about it, is that there isn't really the birds playing on it, it's the wrecking crew, except for Roger McGuinn, who's playing the guitar parts. But he's playing the guitar parts, and they are vocalizing on it. Uh-huh. And it comes out great. I, however it came out, it came out, and I love that song. I'll feel a whole lot better when you're gone. That is, there's no, name me another song that was like that with this kind of brightly, bright, bright, bright uh, melody. Mm-hmm. I, it's just a, it's just it's a it's it's a standalone even amongst the birds you know mm-hmm. they quickly moved in their career but here here was the song that I just love and I, I still love it this also harkens back to Buddy Holly you could also hear him write this song as well oh yeah I think I you know when I was young when I was a kid I had all the I had I had the birds like they had like a double cassette thing mm-hmm and when I was really into the monkeys, you know, I was just like, well, what other music from this generation, like, would I like, you know? And then someone suggested the birds, so I just bought their double tape, and I listened to it a lot. Mm-hmm. What you initially listened to, I, I, I think it's fascinating when you hear people talk about where they get to on their journey of listening, you know? I mean, we all have our own journeys. And, Absolutely. and yeah. when we start off and what we listen to can, you know, what we... There's a difference between what we first hear and what we first choose to hear. Right. That's a, wow, that's a, a great statement there. right there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what I first chose to hear was uh, was those, those albums uh, that were released when I was starting to buy records when I was seven in 1984. <laughs> You know, so that was that was it. It chose me because I, I think I've explained this before. Uh, the my parents gave me on June fifth, nineteen sixty four, my seventh birthday. They gave me uh, uh, in Denver, Colorado. They gave me my first 
really big present that I thought was wow. And it was a transistor radio, the one with the little metal antenna and the little one dial and the volume knob and a little thing that was fit in the palm of your hand. And I turned, I literally, I put the battery in, which was a nine volt battery, put it in the back of the thing, and then went outside and turned on the radio. And I want to hold your hand was in the middle of the song. That was the very first song I heard. Wow. And I went inside and said, did you hear this? Did you hear it? And my parents just said, oh, no. <laughs> That's what they said was, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> so it was kismet. It was, it was, there it was, you know, it happened. So then I started choosing that way. I think that because power pop is a form of music that is meant to be enjoyed, it makes you feel more involved with your own day-to-day beings. I can sit there and listen to something on the radio, and I'm more focused because I'm listening to it. I'm not just going into that song. I'm focused about everything because it wakens me up. One thing that's interesting about power pop songs, 90% of the bands that are in power pop don't have really, really terrifically great solo artists on guitar. Mm -hmm. They're constructionists. And right. by that I mean there really there's really very few guitar players within the confines of power pop that want to be a guitar player in power pop because it's confining. It's you know your 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 lead in a power pop is is pretty written, written out. You got the the lead play in uh, in Squeeze was exquisite in a lot of their songs. Pulling the muscles from a shell it's it's out of this world. But it's an aberration. Most of the leads are are not great but they're just not there's all of a sudden oh there's something out of another song some a different style of playing you know you it, it you can't can you imagine Ingve malmsteam or eddie van halen in a power pop band Even no if, yeah well marty i want to thank you for dropping by and becoming part of pop and you will be back and we will discuss some really cool things we have something coming up called the importance of the middle eight and we're just going to leave that hang there for future speculation. But it's going to be a very fun segment unto itself. Excellent list of your top five there. That was fantastic. A uh, lot of great songs and some of my favorite as well. So here we are at the time in our show before we say goodbye, where we all pick what's popping with us this week. And I know that for myself, there's a couple things. Number one, I got this really cool guitar pick from Courtney Cronendold. Oh, did it come in the mail? It came in the mail, and it is a cheap trick Sgt. Pepper's guitar pick. Whoa! And I was not able to get to be at, at that particular show, but Courtney, thank you so much. That is so cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. it it's going to stay in my collection forever. I, oh, good. I I'm glad. You. I was like, Ken would like this, oh. but I was afraid you might have already had one. No, 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 no. This is, this is something I will treasure, not only because Rick himself touched it, but because you did as well. So, thank Ooh, you. Ken, you romantic. That's, That's me. Very sweet. That's very sweet. Yes, I... Thanks, Ken. I'm glad you, I'm glad it came today while we were recording. You Absolutely. surprised me. I didn't know you got it yet. Yeah, I, I wanted to save it for just this moment. The other thing that's popping with me, and I believe Mr. Ross as well, is a, some little album called Sergeant 
Sergeant Something's Lonely Popper. Peppers Band or something? Pepper. Yeah, Sergeant Poppers. Sergeant <laughs> Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That's it. What a box set. Which one did you get, Marty? Oh, I got the expensive one. And it is same here. I got the I I got the uh, CD version that that came with the four CDs and the Blu-ray and the DVD. And when I opened it, first off, kudos to Amazon.com. Oh, the packaging! Yeah, it was wrapped up nice and tight, and you pretty much would have had to set fire to it or submerse it in water in order for it to be damaged. They really did a great job on this so when i opened mine up i thought that they had sent me the vinyl version because i ordered the 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 four cds and the blu-ray and the dvd and there's this thing that looks like a record album and i'm like oh no but i had to open it up right so with fear of like not being able to send it back i opened it up and inside of the sergeant pepper replica it unfolds and there's a slot for each of the CDs and the Blu-ray and the DVD. So it was really cool. The book is fantastic. All the posters and everything, just great. But the new mix is fantastic. And I cannot stress enough, if you're a Beatles fan, this is it. This is something that if, if you seriously are into the Beatles, I can't see how you can pass this up. You will hear Sgt. Pepper in a way you've never heard it before. It's interesting because Paul said that it sounded like 3D mono, which is, I've never heard anything like it before, but it's exactly what it sounds like. I There's, would agree. I would agree with that statement. It's it's not stereo like you've heard it before. It's It's in a way that uh, he Giles made this mix so that things are working uh, frequency-wise in different layers. Mm-hmm. Instead of just putting things in the way they were recorded, he's got things that are at different frequencies that are coming at you that make it kind of three-dimensional. It's like, and it's, I can't figure out any other better way to put it. Marty, but, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend that you on your 5.1 stereo TV setup. Yeah, play the Blu-ray. Okay. Just, All right. And you'll, uh, you'll, you'll say thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. All right. <laughs> you can put that anywhere you want, at any point, at any show. Oh! <laughs> thank you, Ken. Hot. Hot. Yeah. So that is what is popping with me and Marty. Courtney, what's popping with you? Well, I just got my tickets because... For three shows, I was just going to go to one, but he just added two more. John Waite is finally coming back to the Los Angeles area. So. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You, saw the, you saw the open for him before, right? I did. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did. And that was at the Rose. And in fact, he's coming back to the Rose in July. And Marty, you should get that gig. I, uh, I loved opening. I loved doing that. It was just that was my first show that I played in 30 years anywhere. Uh, outside of the New Monkeys reunion, uh, I'd never, I hadn't played a show, and I did it, and uh, yeah, I was fine with it. It was I, super fun. I walked in and was like, and you were on stage, and I was like, that's Marty Ross, and, I, and then my head started spinning, and then right. I didn't realize it had been that long since you'd performed. I, I feel so honored that I was there. Well, I, I heard f- you were coming, so I quickly put it together a set, and I. No, we didn't know each other yet. 
Well, they I didn't met even you. know that they didn't even know I was on stage. I was just up there just as That's a, not true. There were people there were people out of their chairs. It was a very fun set and I my I was with my friend Goat who was in the band Loud Sugar and he was yeah. totally totally digging you and I was like, "Yes." Yes, it was a really fun night, and um, and in fact, at the end of the night, I talked Kelly and Perry are friends of mine, and I was like, I want to meet. Will you please introduce me to Marty? And then she was like, Yes, and she did. On your way out, she introduced me to yeah. you, and I I thanked you for a great show. I don't know if you remember meeting me, but oh, maybe no, I not. Remember. You, you okay, were, you were sloshed. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry, that's not nice. No, that's not true because I only have one drink at concerts because I, I don't want to I don't want it to ruin the experience. You know what's so funny right now is is that Ken's actually walked away and we're not even... Ken, Ken's not even here. Ken's already left. Nonsense. Ken's I'm here. I'm here. I'm he's, here. Not oh. even re- he's not even recording. I And you know what? If I th- I'm going to wait in for the new Monkeys reunion official announcement when yeah. we have you guys. Like... Because I have a very, very, very funny New Monkeys-related story to tell you okay. about that night that I'm going to wait. Yeah. It's embarrassing for me, but I think what you guys... We'll get a huge kick out of it. So, anyway. I think that most people who come up with new Bucky stories are embarrassed by them. I mean, it's you know. Well, I think we ought to tell people that you know Courtney and I actually had lunch together, so we've actually met in person and we've actually been together because this is we're in uh, three different areas doing this, and it's been a lot of fun. I absolutely. I think, yeah, I like to thank Ken and I like to thank Courtney for inviting me onto this pop podcast i think that this is a great forum for talking about all things pop and uh i again i'd like to tell people to that marty ross at gmail.com send a submission of a song that you'd like to see me repop and augment and i'll be able to pick one and send you the winner whoever i song i pick uh, a 45 randomly picked out of my collection i just found <gasps> cool. 1145s and i just and it's like they're, they're the ones I had when I was a kid. So they're pretty cool. But that's, uh, I'd like to be able to share those instead of just keeping on to them without playing them. They should go to people that really can put them and nail them on their wall or in the bathroom. There you yeah. go. Well, Marty, we want to thank you for being part of POP today. We will be back soon. Check us out on all these social media things. And we will see you on the next episode of POP. POP! <laughs> Say bye, Marty. Bye, Marty. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Pop is an online, non-profit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolfe, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Hey, have you ever heard uh, Courtney's Vinnie Vincent impersonation? It's it's awesome. Oh. Do it, Courtney. Hey, everybody. I'm Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? <laughs> I wrote some of Kiss's most memorable pop and melodic songs in the 80s and 90s. You know, I uh, sat on a plane with Vinnie Vincent once. Shut up! Just...
I sat right next to Vinnie Vincent, first class once on a plane, and sitting there, and he, he asked for a bottle of champagne. He got a bottle of champagne. He took it back Jesus. to the three guys in the band who were sitting in right next to the restroom and the way in the back. Oh, that was cool. And, and he comes, so he gives them champagne. He comes back over and says, I got to give them something or else they're going to throw me off the plane. <laughs> Episode 9 of Pop. I'm going to take that again. There is a noise here. Episode 9. Wait, stop. There was a noise here. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I can fix it in post. Um, it'll, it'll, I will sound professional, courteous, and indignant. And sexy. Ooh. Hot. Yes. Well, actually, Courtney is the sex part of it. You and I are the... I'm the uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I got the... Uh, hello? Yeah. <laughs> We got it. Hello, is that better? No, 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 Talking at the same I, time. I, 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 there was this one well, time. Van Cam. Explosive diarrhea, and it was <laughs> okay. All right, all right. I think I think we're good. We just made the, our own zilch, our own uh, Mr. Dobelina. I had explosive <laughs> diarrhea. I had a rash, a very, <laughs> very contagious rash. <laughs> My nostrils had spiders in it. <laughs> Anyway, Ken, if that if you can edit that down into being something sufficient, <laughs> I will. And that's our show. And that's our show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Say good night, Dick.